Happy first week of April, everybody. Welcome to your favorite show, Fringe with Benefits. I'm your host, Stacy. Insert weirdness here. I like to think of myself as a like a Viking warrior princess, like She-Ra. But I'm happy as hell to be here and ready to bring you lots of weird shit going on this week. Lots of good stuff. So I here I am. Here I am again. And I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Let's party on. Let's knock the business out of the way. You guys know where to find me on all the social medias. You can find Fringe with Benefits has its own Facebook page. Inward Survival has a Facebook page. The Facebook fan page is at Stacy Leosorio. Twitter is at Stacy Fringe. Instagram is at Golden underscore Valkyrie underscore. YouTube at Golden Valkyrification. Rumble, Golden Valkyrie, I think. <laughs> Parlor, not really, I don't even, I can't even log in. I don't, I don't know. I've got a renegade account now. MeWe, you will find me as Stacy McCauley there. Gab is a fun site and so is Mines. Golden Valkyrie, that's where, where you'll find me. The Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel is badass. I kind of recently just heard that Bill Gates just bought Telegram for $600 million. I'm not sure if that's true or not. I sure as fuck hope not, but you can find our Telegram channel there, and that place is like a stream of information. It's uh, pretty phenomenal, and it's almost like I have a little bit of paranoia about whether or not, you know, they're just pushing propaganda like everybody else, but it's been pretty interesting to get on there and see what what you're going to find there. There are ways to donate in a blog on Inward Survival's website. That's pretty much why I do the podcast is to raise funds for Inward Survival. It's in its baby stages. It's in its infant stages. And it's just me doing it. And I would really like to go out into the community and bring a sense of self-accomplishment to some, you know, that's what the world needs. Personal accountability and a sense of accomplishment. Share the show. Visit the show's homepage on Anchor and click support the show. Thank you to our subscribers. Love you to pieces. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go give me a rating and review. Shit, make sure you're subscribing. I hope you already are at this point. Anyways, that's the business. That's where you're going to find me. Reach out. Hit me up. Tag me in shit. I want to, you know, if you if you run across something that you think that it would, you know, excite me and... Don't send me porn. I don't want that. If it's going to excite me as far as like conspiracy theories and stuff, feel free to tag me in that and interact with me on social media because that's the whole reason why I'm there is to interact with people. Episode 33, lucky number 33 kind of ominous, but super rad for me. Anyways, this week has been a super big week. Welcome to the accountability segment. This is where I talk on my personal experience for a couple minutes. Last week, my oldest child turned 18 years old. And yeah, that happened. And what a really weird experience that was. It's like the ultimate um, American culture rite of passage. 
as well as the fear that comes along with being a parent of a young adult or any child for that matter. I guess everyone gets to go through things differently, but I am like an ultra emotional person and I've always been super sensitive, but really hearty. And if I would have known, I would have made different choices, but that would have been foolish, right? Because what I've learned is so valuable and my children would not be the same had I made different choices. So I I highly, highly value them. I highly value my family. I value them highly. They are highly valued. I love my son and I wish him tons of success and the willingness to achieve and value himself. You know, teaching our kids to love themselves is really important. And it's all in how we deal with life's challenges, right? My daughter is entering freshman year in high school, and that's a huge deal too. And I remember actually thinking about what it would be like at this point in my life several years ago when they were little. I thought about her entering freshman year and him graduating high school. And I I always, like, I, I imagined what would my life be like when they were at this age. And well, here we are. And my heart really yearns for those days back to when they were really little. I adore them. And I, uh, what, what powerful feelings. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. And I just want to extend prayers to those who yearn for their little ones. My heart is with you. And that's, that's a hard thing. So enough with the sappy nonsense. It's not nonsense, but let's move on. <laughs> the human experience and the beauty of love is an incredible thing. Like another epiphany is I was putting my dog's like collar on him with his little tags and noticed that, he, you know, they've got their little vaccination tags, their little vaccination passport, if you will. Uh, so they, it's kind of ironic, right? that our dogs have been rolling around with their vaccination tags and now they want us to roll around with vaccination tags pretty funny huh ha ha so yeah episode 33 i'm still doing the thing we all know the significance of 33 the 33 is freemason sorcery think about that one stacy's socials is brought to you by factor crap so factor crap The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has developed a puke ray that when pointed at an offender or suspect makes them vomit. What do you think? Do you think that the Department of Homeland Security has a ray gun that actually makes people puke? It's true. So be careful because Homeland Security might freaking zap you with their puke gun and you'll just be... they're, They're probably using infrasound which is a a wave that can paralyze you pretty much and make you sick. Sounds great, right? Another one. The prop manager for a 1982 cult movie classic Poltergeist used real human skeletons for the production because the plastic versions were too expensive. Is that true or false? It's true. They actually used real skeletons. Remember the pool scene where she falls into the pool? the unfinished pool and there's freaking bodies yeah fact or crap in 2008 king harold v of norway knighted niels olav a penguin niels olav was actually a real knighted penguin that's totally freaking true and we're gonna have to look him up and figure out what the hell so i guess 
He served as an honorary colonel in the King's Guard of Norway. I guess he didn't have any words after his knighthood ceremony. He just sat there and ate his fish in quiet. And then uh, the last one. Did you know that at one time red hot irons were used to treat hemorrhoids? Yeah. They just heat those irons up and burn the hemorrhoids right off. Gnarly, right? So let's get into Stacy's socials. Let's see what we're talking about this week. It's been weird. It's been busy. I had a weird encounter on my Facebook. I got a message and I'm going to, I'm going to read this message to you guys. Usually people will say hi in my inbox or they'll add me and they'll wave and I'll usually wave back. I usually will greet somebody back. And if I don't have time and they start asking questions, I, I'm not rude, but I usually, I just, I don't answer sometimes. I Sometimes I leave people on red. I forget. So this guy sends me a message. It said, hey, Stacy, how are things? This is right after he added me. And I said, everything's great. Thanks. Hope things are great over there too. Friendly, kind of detached. Don't know this person. Have no idea. And he said, well, why thank you? What are you up to? Question mark. So I left him on red because I don't have time to be like, what are you up to? How you doing? What are you doing? And like, who are you? And why are you asking me what I'm up to? You already said how are things and I said things are great. So I, you know, I didn't reply. I went about my day and he says, like, I don't know, within the hour, okay, I'm truly sorry for bothering you. Was just curious and hoping to get to know you. Have a good Friday. And so I'm like, okay, left it alone. The following day, he said nothing. Interesting, LOL. All right. Apology not accepted, apparently. Hmm. And so I thought that this was weird. And I said, well, there's no apology necessary. And he replied with, I was curious about the naked and frayed experience. And that's it. Okay. He didn't ask a question. He just said, was curious about the naked and afraid experience. Well, how am I supposed to respond to that if you don't specify what you're curious about? And so I left him on red again because he didn't ask me a question. And so he says, okay, now this is just mean. Goodbye, Stacy. <laughs> Goodbye. So long, buddy. So I re- responded with, bye. <laughs> And he goes, for real, what's your deal? <laughs> With like a wide-eyed emoji. And so I responded, well, what would you like to know about Naked and Afraid? You didn't directly ask me a question. And that's where it's been left. Let's let's check and see if he's been back. No, he has. he's not back, so that's good. Um, this will continue if if he sends me any more messages, but I think that he pretty much got the point and he's going to leave me the fuck alone because I don't like that. Don't fuck with me on my in-, in my inbox. I don't like it. Um, so other than that, it's been pretty quiet in my sta- my socials and uh, I really like Minds. That site is super clean, super awesome. I'm trying to like use the hashtags a little more because it really makes it easier to connect with people. So they, they seem to be really super important. And I've been learning a lot about marketing and hashtags are really important there. There is this video that I want to talk about with Cheryl Atkinson on how propaganda has replaced journalism. And this has been primarily in the 
in the last few years that it's become apparent, but they've been doing it for decades upon decades. Ever since the beginning of media, I suppose. She's a 60-year-old woman who wrote this book, and she talks about how media and how big tech has, like, totally deplatformed Trump and how they've been deplatforming very vocal citizens, citizens that are vocal on subjects or of the opinion that the mainstream media doesn't appreciate or doesn't want anybody to hear what they have to say. And that's, it's alarming her. And she calls it, she calls it a part of a propaganda campaign. And that, you know, you see this back and forth between Congress and big tech. And she said that in her book, she traces the funds to a nonprofit called First Draft. And she could pretty much pinpoint when this started. And it was right around the time when the media started talking about how fake news needs to be stopped. And President Obama had came forward around the same time saying we needed to start curating the media. And he was referring to pretty much conservative views or conservative news. And this is basically what she's saying in this interview. By the way, the interview is Epic Times, I think, and it's uh, American, American thought leaders or something. She says that that entire situation in which the fake news became a thing and started talking about this is before this was the idea from the left before President Trump even started talking about the fake news. Like everybody already knew that the news was directed propaganda. Like I knew this. And this is all before Trump came out and actually just started saying it. And then, you know, Obama came forward saying that they, we needed to curate the news. So she's saying that this was actually a way in which they created a market for information control, which I think she's fucking brilliant. And she calls it. She, you know, basically says that they created this problem and then they come in with the solution like, hey, well we, well, we can make sure that maybe their voices aren't heard. And so, you know, their opinions are dangerous. And so we need to put, the, you know, a stop to that. She highlights that the propagandists know how easily most people can be manipulated and that people's cognitive liberty is at stake. And that she really emphasizes that the left and right should really come together against censorship because if it's not one one side, it's going to be the other side. So it's not okay to do it to either side, she's saying. If we come together against censorship and third-party intervention, then, you know, we, we have a, a, a unifying concept. Nobody really wants to be censored. And people shouldn't want the other party to be censored either. Actively, right now, they are restricting our information. There's a big tech getting together and saying, well, we think this person's opinion is dangerous, this person's voice is dangerous, so let's restrict this information. And this is really, even though it's digital, it's pretty synonymous to the burning of the books back in the day. We all know that that's a dangerous thing. So she calls attention to, like, a bunch of reporter mistakes made over and over and over again and, and that these things are being allowed to continue. If you follow Project, Project Veritas, he does a retraction segment in which he basically calls out other journalists from making bad calls and calling them out on it, which I, I really absolutely enjoy because if somebody's unethically practicing news reporting, they have 
personal, they have a responsibility to the public. And there needs to be some sort of recourse if they're getting things wrong over and over and over again, especially intentionally, because it's, in my opinion, it's unethical. And I, I do believe that the original concept of journalism would be to relay the truth and report on what's actually going on, not to influence the population. What is this recourse? Nothing's happening. There's no accountability. There's a complete lack of trust now. And she says if they tell you it's super fake, you know, if the news is telling you, hey, this isn't real, look the other way, these people are full of shit, then you really shouldn't believe it and that we need to look into that even more. And they're trying to stop us from even trying to look at it. She calls them rumor reporters. These people that do this unethical business. And she emphasizes that information should be accessible unless it's illegal. And I totally agree. Like we don't definitely there's things out there that are illegal and they're illegal for a reason. And nobody wants to see that, nor should anybody have access to that because it's usually involving the abuse or the murder of somebody. But all other information should be available to all people. Everybody's voice should be heard, especially in this country. I think she's a, a damn hero, in my opinion. And she talks a little bit about the rumor, there's a rumor, I don't know if it's true or not, that Trump is going to create his own platform, and she's really excited to see how that's going to go. I'm pretty excited about that, too, if that's really a thing or if that's, if that's you know, not a thing. And she, she says what's super interesting about it is that, like, what's the other side going to come up with to stop it? How are they going to try to stop it? Because this is basically what we've been seeing is this desperate attempt to block out the fucking sun <laughs> or block out all information to from one group of people they the interviewer talks about this trump supporter propaganda that's gone around okay so speaking about this propaganda that all trump supporters are stupid or they're inbred or they're hillbillies they're they're white they're misogynists transphobe homophobe all this bullshit it's not true is a form of discrimination and and then calling out a group of people as being a cult is generalizing is generalizing an entire group of people which is what they say that people do when they're being racist or discriminating based on race or religion it's not right either way whether you know the target is a white person versus a person of color the idea that they're trying to control the internet and the sense of desperation that we see when they're discussing opposing views, it's super visible and it's absolutely apparent. She also says that there seems to be some sort of like paradigm shift because of how apparent it is that people are actually starting to take notice and that the propagandists may have blown their cover. There's been a, a sort of an activism that was, has been born of people that are sick of that. I guess I could raise my hand and say that I'm one. I'm, you know, I'm sick of the media lying to us. I'm sick of the media trying to influence us. I'm sick of people trying to get money off of our, our suffering, you know? She's got this other book. It's called The Smear. And she talks about how the, the phone keeps us connected to a platform in which that we are manipulated. That if we all sat at home on our phones, we're easily controllable. That, like, the only way that we can prevent that is to be out in the world interacting with people maintaining a sense of reality that what we see on this little box 
is definitely not what it's like in our communities and that our opinions and our beliefs should not be swayed by what we see there and more so um, by what we experience in the real world. And that we should not succumb to this idea that our ideas and our thoughts are like fringe when they're actually not. It's more of a popular belief. And that there is sort of a tyranny of the minority upon the majority happening. She also talks about how different it is to search from Google using Google search engines versus using a DuckDuckGo search engine, how much information is actually left out. So you guys should could totally try to use DuckDuckGo and search something and then search the exact same terms in Google. Different stuff's going to pop up, which there's control of the information flow right there. I guess this woman who wrote these books was a victim of some sort of surveillance program. I don't know very much about that, but she briefly talks about how she's been in court with the Department of Justice and they are actually defending their agents for these violations of privacy and there are certain officials in government that have this autoimmunity and so even if they do participate in criminal activity, they're automatically immune to any charges and that there is unbelievable amounts of corruption in our courts, which I believe it, and that there are two forms of justice, which is completely unfair, two forms of justice, you know, some high-profile rich dude, you know, gets into trouble for whatever, stealing money or taking bribes. He doesn't fucking go to jail. In fact, the media will just brush it under the rug and then the Department of Justice won't file charges because it's one of theirs, guys. But if it was one of us, we'd all be in prison. How? Where's the fairness in that? There's preferential treatment happening to government officials. And she was this victim of some illegal surveillance program, among hundreds of others, supposedly. And she said, the advice to us would be to stand up and not to allow yourself to be bullied. I think that that is a really important message. And to be aware of the propaganda that they're trying to feed us. And where we are in our country and in the world, especially in today's climate, with that whole Agenda 21 stuff. Other than that, like, that was the most I got out of my social media this week was this pep talk from this woman that's been through hell and back and who's still, who's still in court trying to get justice for what's been done and trying to warn people about what's going on and that they're not crazy and that they're, they're not conspiracy theorists and that they're not hated or feared and that their voices count and that they matter. So otherwise, I'm just trying to, I'm going to just get caught up on my Telegram and try to keep pushing content into the channel. So remember to go over and install Telegram, download, or join the Fringe with Benefits Telegram channel. This week's mailbag is totally empty. And instead of coming up with some kind of fantastic story to tell you guys, I'm basically just going to tell you Send me some stories, fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. It's totally encrypted email, so if you want to be anonymous, you can write me a message, and of course, I'm not going to share or try to find out who you are. Send me your crazy shit. I like ghost stories. I like all kinds of paranormal stories, cryptid stories, UFO stories. Maybe you thought one of your high school teachers was a reptilian Maybe you had a really crazy girlfriend in your 20s that used to stalk you. I even want to hear about that. 
I even like sad stories. If you got a sad story or a story of remembrance, send it over. I would love to read it on the show. You can find me and send me your stories at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. I actually do have a treat for you guys this week. I'm going to tell you a story that's actually my mom's story about when she was in her 20s. I do believe that this was before I was born. She moved from the Midwest to Southern California to kind of live like a rock star, get away from her family, and to live on her own. She lived at an apartment complex in which she... Uh, I'm pretty sure she lived on the second floor, but if I get this wrong, mom, you know, I'll have to do a correction later. So she pulls up to, it's nighttime, and she got off of work, and so she's going to her apartment. She pulled up in her car, you know, turn the engine off, turn the lights off, get out, locks her door. When she looks over and she sees a man with a, I think his face was covered, but he, he had a hooded sweatshirt. He's dressed in all dark, and he's standing in the bushes. And he, he literally runs full fucking speed towards her in which she fucking runs full speed towards the building. And she runs up, up onto the balcony where her door is to try to get into her door. And this guy catches up to her and fucking grabs her and punches her in her fucking face. And she is screaming, making as much noise as she possibly fucking can, waking up everybody she could possibly wake up. She just, she just said she just started screaming. And of course he hit her. He busted her lip open. There was blood. So she was... She was assaulted, but it could have been much worse. Anyways, people came out of their apartments and they, they pretty much just their presence ran this guy off and he ended up taking off. And I don't think that he was ever caught. And I want to share that story with you because this happens to a lot of people, you know, women and men alike. They are attacked in vulnerable situations like this and you have to scream and cause a ruckus. Not only is it going to stun them, yeah, they're they're probably going to try to hit you, but it's going to it's going to bring attention to your situation. It's going to it's going to excite the situation even further. You do not want to stay quiet for these fuckers. Scream as loud as you can. If you can't get anybody to come out, I mean, scream fire. That's what they tell us is instead of screaming rape, you want to scream fire because people will actually respond to a situation like that. And it, it's shameful. It's shameful that people wouldn't try to help somebody in a situation like that. But there are times in which people do not want to get involved, and they totally should. If we lived in a, a society in which we all stood up for each other, we'd have a lot less crime. But I wanted to share that story about my mom and her experience being attacked, um, walking from her car to her house. And I'm just really, really grateful that her neighbors came out and that guy ran off, and all he, all he got in on her was um, a punch to the face because I wouldn't be here otherwise, or she would have been totally traumatized. And these, these are the kind of stories that I'm really looking for. I mean, stories about our experience on this earth and the crazy shit that happens to us. Like, it's fantastic. It's crazy. And I want to give a shout-out to my friend who sent us those stories about her being robbed at gunpoint, and the story about her haunting experience at Tombstone. She's awesome. 
she's pretty much sent all the stories except for the one guy who was the victim of the insane surveillance harassment, which if you guys go back and listen to the earlier episodes, you'll get to hear those. So go back and listen, share with your friends, uh, entice your friends to shoot me some mail and then I'll, I'll read it out. Just make sure that you send it to fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. Our weekly topic this week, I think I'm going to just freelance this one because I I need to unload my open Safari windows pretty much. So I'm just going to unload everything that I've been like keeping in my little library about things that I have seen or have currently been in or on the news. Okay, so this is going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm going to start with this video from this Brooklyn chick. And it's basically a Facebook Live, and I don't know the origins of it. It's it's definitely a Facebook Live. But she's talking live, so she's really cute, and she's just real manicured and real East Coast and funny, and she warns everybody she's going to use foul language, and she's like, I don't give a fuck. You need to know about this stuff, and everybody needs to stop being so fucking stupid and open their fucking eyes pretty much. And I, <laughs> I loved it. There was like an hour of it. And sorry, can't link it below. If No, you know what? I put it up on the Telegram channel. It's up there. If you really want to see it, you can find it. So she's talking shit and she's like, look up Mother Teresa. Look up Mother Teresa. Oprah's school, you know, there's human trafficking going on. These people that are saying that they're holier than thou are involved and She's like, look up the Oprah school. You don't think they're trafficking kids there. She said to, she warns us of these holier-than-thou people that are very high-profile in the news, well-known for their philanthropy and their willingness to help others with all of their money, right? She's like, look up, look up these names. Look up Laura Silsby. That's Hillary's friend. She was all around that Epstein and Haiti thing, and she was actually given a job after she was prosecuted with human trafficking because she had like 30 kids from the Haitian crisis, and they ended up giving her a job to the Missing Kids Network. That's where she supposedly works now. And then she says, remember Wayfair? That traffickers are using social media and hashtags to geolocate people and snatch them and troll people. So they can steal them. So she really emphasizes there's there's thousands of people and children that go missing every single second. There's a big crisis happening and nobody's fucking talking about it. I don't know. But it's all kind of tied together. So she goes on and she's like, well, why would they want to take you? Nobody's safe. Everybody is a potential victim. It doesn't matter if you're... Because it's not just sex trafficking or... I don't know, human slavery, modern day human slavery. It's also, they just fucking take you because they want your organs because those can be sold very highly on the black market. And no one's safe. And so, yeah, Wayfair is a front to be able to do that. Or I wouldn't say that Wayfair itself, the company, is a front, but that these traffickers can use it through 
third-party product selling online that they're using this platform to sell people. So I don't know if you guys remember, so everybody was home. There was a bunch of news and a bunch of like fact-checking happening this last year regarding whether or not Wayfair had items on their website that were like a pillow with a, a name on it for $13,000 and these little storage units, um, little cabinets, those were also, I don't know, fifteen grand or whatever. And there were names attached to it that were lined up with the names that were on this missing children's, exploit, national exploited missing children's list. Then you got the fucking Suez Canal cargo container thing. That's real. It's like, okay, so Evergreen, that's Hillary's company. Well, Jen Psaki, our new representative of the White House, she's supposedly a consultant for Evergreen containers. Well, the girl in the video didn't say this, but I'm saying it now. Well, that's what people are saying. Supposedly Amazon... You can do the same thing because you could be a third-party seller on Amazon. I sell things on Amazon, but that you know, Jeff Bezos' warehouse burnt down next to this port, and I don't, you know, I don't know where that was. I guess people have to look things up according to this video. She's telling people to look this stuff up. So basically, I'm just telling you what I wrote down. Some of the stuff I had already known, but some of the stuff was kind of new to me. There's an urgency in her voice that sh seems like she's really just trying to help. There's a port with a warehouse on it. Warehouse is owned by Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Both of them burned down. She talks about the Tor browser and the Anons. If you guys are familiar with the hackers, this Tor browser in which people use to get on the dark web to do their nefarious shit or to buy people or to buy organs or to buy drugs or to buy child porn, all the stuff that's illegal, you can do on this Tor browser. She says that it was invented by our CIA. Our own government developed the Tor browser so they could better surveil criminal activity or help orchestrate it. I'm not really sure, but there's the dark web developed by our own CIA, and now the place to go if you want to buy somebody to murder or something, because there's some sick fuckers out there. So she talks about the Tor browser, and then she talks about some other international search engines like Yandex, and emphasizes the third-party commodity sales. And then she gives a little background about the Anons, and the Black Hats versus the White Hats, these hackers kind of working with WikiLeaks, and that that whole Seth Rich thing, we know, we know Seth Rich, he actually stumbled upon some information that he was freaked out about, and so he went to WikiLeaks. This is, I'm just reporting what this, this chick says. And that pretty much that Seth Rich is a fucking hero. His life was cut short because he was murdered. But if you look that up, if you look him up, the official narrative is saying otherwise. And that's part of the fucking problem, as we talked about earlier with propagandists and their assault upon access to information. So then she talks about John Podesta and Tony Podesta and their artwork and how gross it is and how they're pretty much a part of Clinton's team and all about how Seth Rich discovered all this information about the PIZZA. So supposedly these white hats, 
these Anon hackers used a phishing email tactic to hack into John Podesta's emails. And he fell for it, he gets hacked, and they get a bunch of information and it blows up. And then supposedly Anthony Weiner was arrested and they got his laptop, and then that's where the Weiner's laptop came in, and that there's a shit ton of stuff on that too. And that there is a global cartel of human slavery. And she's like, look up James Alifantes. He's the owner of Comet Ping Pong and DC's Pegasus Museum. There's some weird shit going on there. That's linked to trafficking children. And that she's she's yelling at people saying Pizzagate isn't fake. <laughs> and she's like, look at the Rothschilds. She's like, Elephantas means lover of children. And that's not even his real name. And he, she's like, look up David Brox from Media Matters. Ed Buck. I don't know who these people are. But this is what she's saying. And that Ed Buck had black dudes dying in his house. And that he, you know, people were like, oh, they OD'd or whatever. He's like, she's like, no, she's, he's fucking killing them. He's been doing it for years. And Marine, Marina Abramovich and how she was in Bill Gates' video or his commercial just recently. She's like, look at ID 2020 and eugenics and India and Nigeria and we all know about their president recently he did just die mysteriously and she says this is kind of what really gets me is she's like I don't know where she's pulling her numbers off of she's got a piece of paper and she's just fucking spouting off like she knows the shit and she's trying to explain it to us she talks about there's a 1200 percent chance of autism with some of these vaccines and bill gates was tied to child porn he had that guy that was arrested for child pornography in his house well she's saying that that his was his and he just blamed it on his friend that's some harsh shit and that there are these anonymous hackers that are victims of this they're they are highly autistic i don't know if they're making claims that it's because of certain things. I, I don't fucking know. It's really, really fucking out there. But that these autistic anons are after him. I wouldn't fucking be surprised. Considering all the crazy shit that's been going on. And then she goes into George Soros. And if everybody's hip. And there's been some other stuff in the news. Regarding George Soros and accounts in Myanmar. Then she tells everybody about Joseph Mengele. And... The almost development of the super soldier in World War II Germany, but also then brought here by Project Paperclip. Because when we arrested these scumbags who were torturing people, instead of making them pay for that, we just gave them a fucking job and moved their whole family over here, right? That one bothers me. Because then that's what brings us into MK Ultra. And that she's like, George Soros is actually a racist, total racist. And she's like, look at Mothers of Darkness. I have not looked this up yet. She says they're out of Belgium and that it, there's a lot of crazy shit that came out of Belgium, including the Illuminati. She's like, look at the NGOs and the nonprofits. Well, we all know that she's fucking right there, right? She's like, uh, look up Sarah Ruth Ashcroft. And she is a victim who's been speaking out about MK Ultra. She's a survivor who actually names names. And then this Brooklyn chick is like, look up 
Gitmo and look at aerial maps of the area and see how much construction has occurred in the last few years and all the extra traffic. And there are other people that have been reporting on this in alternative news as well. She brings up Isaac Cappy. I'm just naming it off so you guys can look it up if you want to. If you don't already know, these names are kind of important to what's going on right now. And then she points out that the BLM funds, Black Lives Matter, were going to act blue the entire year of 2020, if not still now. And that's inappropriate because it should be going into the communities in which they're saying they're protecting. And she's like, you know, follow the money. Look at where the money go- funding goes. Just like the journalists that we talked about earlier in the show, right? Follow the money and you'll find out kind of what's going on. She talks about Terra Mar. It's a nonprofit owned by Ghislaine Maxwell. And that Ghislaine Maxwell is the big dog and she's part of the Mossad just like her father. She also talks about Shahar who owns Wayfair. He has a nonprofit for kids too. A lot of these people have nonprofits for children, which gives them access to children. A lot of money and a lot of power and a sick, twisted head will get them access to whatever sick shit they're into. And she's like, what about the Pentagon and the 1,500 employees that got popped with child porn? How come nobody is talking about that? Well, I'd like to know that too. The Clinton Foundation and Haiti, and they took all of their money and they didn't actually help them. They raised a shit ton of funds to help them and then just took it all and then tried to take their kids with them. Because that's what that first chick was in trouble for, Laura Silsby. So that's basically what this video is going into. And then she warns towards the end. So I didn't watch the whole thing. I watched probably about 50 minutes of it. I was pretty enthralled because of the way that she lays down this information. She says she knows people. I don't know. I'm just passing it along because it was interesting. She warns about the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And I don't even know what to say because every single one of these names and topics is an entire, it's an entire weekly topic for Fringe with Benefits. Each one of these has a story Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, depopulation through vaccination. They've said it. We've all heard it. And then she's like, look at fucking Nexium and Keith Rainier and his weird little fucking branding sex cult and how he was recruiting. I I don't know if that's tied to all this, but it's weird because it's really not in the news. We don't hear what happens afterwards. So what the fuck? We're going to move on from that weird thing and go through my my library of stuff that I've collected over the last couple of weeks. Because I can't do a freaking weekly topic on all these things. Well, I can, but I'm not going to do that right now. It's a freestyle, remember? So March 15th, 2021, there was an article in the War Zone titled Mysterious High Altitude Flight Corridor Was Opened Up Between Area 51 and the Pacific. This restricted strip of airspace bridged the Nevada test and training range with the Pacific Ocean during a few hour window last Saturday evening. So a couple weeks ago on a Saturday evening, the Federal Aviation Administration's database had an alert of notices to airmen, which alerts aviators to chunks of airspace that are temporarily off limits. 
So they're not allowed to fly in these little little chunks. They have to check this thing. There's alerts. The details strongly point to the comings and goings of high-flying aircrafts between either Area 51, Groom Lake, or the Tonopa Test Range Airport, two of the military's most closely guarded flight test facilities. Okay, so they say that this is weird. This is pointed out by users of the dreamlandresort.com message board issued March 12th, 2021, but was only active between 5.45 p.m. and 8.15 p.m. This is very odd when military aviation training and test activity is usually at a minimum. The notice outlined a path 20 nautical miles wide and 426 miles long at the altitude between flight level 450 and flight level 600, or... 45,000 to 60,000 feet. So it's just a little chunk up there at a certain elevation. That's interesting. So you can basically see that it's from the coast into Nevada, over a mountain range. It's kind of where I used to live. That's a pretty decent sized strip from the coast to Groom Lake. So it's the Nevada Test and Training Range. This particular restriction is called a stationary ALTRV, standing for Altitude Reservation Approval Request. It appears to offer a sanitized bridge between the NTTR and the Pacific for high-flying aircraft. This aircraft would not have to communicate or turn on transponder during the flight, so that he can just cruise through. They say this route's interesting for several reasons. There's been a bunch of these, you know, restrictions in recent years, all going between the Nevada test range and areas off the California coast. The most recent one, a number of months ago, began from right near Creech Air Force Base and extended over Central California and out to sea. Transiting in the facility of Monterey was a way a way secretive aircraft have been moving from desolate ranges in the west out to the Pacific. These types of temporarily restricted pieces of airspace appear to provide secure high-altitude corridors between NTTR, the Nevada Test and Training Range, I think that's right, and top-secret facilities within, and various offshore U.S. military test ranges in the eastern Pacific. It also could be a way to get a clandestine aircraft it's also important to note that aircraft that you, uses this corridor does not have to be manned. Such a route could exist because it is an unmanned clandestine asset that needs to tr transit out to sea as easily as possible. They suspect that it might be an RQ-170, and a test variant has been flying in and out of Palmdale as of late. So these are drones, which is interesting because I used to deliver paint to this place called General Atomics out in the middle of the fucking desert, and they, they developed drone aircraft. They're saying they basically opened a corridor for a drone, but you know what's interesting is that they actually even report on this. It says that plane spotters who religiously monitor radio chatter around the NTTR for hints about movements to and from sites such as Area 51, and TTR did not hear anything that appeared relevant to movement along that route at the time on air con traffic control channels. It's possible the aircraft's mission was scrubbed, or it could very well be a feature of such a mission. In the past, when we saw similar postings, no word ever came 
off any odd radio traffic or traffic tracking info from spotters. There's a lot of like citizen journalists and people in specialized types of work that do good work by bringing this information to us. But it also makes me suspicious that they'd even talk about it because they've been doing it. They've been doing it this fucking whole time anyways. Next is this crazy patent I found, and I'm going to link it below because I just want to freaking close this window. So we'll just archive it with the podcast. It is a zero-point energy rotator transducer and associated methods. Zero-point energy. Let's see. First application was in 2008, and then the status says it was abandoned, and there is plans and everything for this thing. It's a legit patent filed. And I just really want to read the abstract because this can fix all of the world's problems right here. An energy conversion system for extracting energy from a zero-point field of space is disclosed and described. This system includes a primary transducer operatively associated with a secondary transducer. The primary transducer can include a substrate having an arm rotation rotatably coupled to the substrate while the substrate can be confined to move along a linear oscillatory path. The secondary transducer converts kinetic energy of the substrate and arm to usable energy. The multi-mode motion of the substrate and arm combination is sufficient to impart a momentum influx to rotational motion of the arm. The momentum influx can then be converted to usable energy such as mechanical and electrical and or thermal energy. As described in more detail, the momentum influx appears to be a result of radiation pressure due to scattering in part of the electromagnetic momentum energy contained within zero-point field of space opposite to centripetal acceleration of the arm. And there's four images which it seems absolutely so simple and wonderful. Why was the patent abandoned? And what happened? You know? So you guys can be the citizen journalists on that one. And that will be linked below. Next, this one's a bummer, but it's weird. Teen stabbed dad 20 times, believing a shape-shifting reptile was inside of him. The court files. 31221 by Tom Batchelor. It says a teenager is in custody accused of stabbing his father 20 times with a steak knife in an attempt to kill him believing a shape-shifting reptile had taken over his body. Court documents and police allege. Multiple Arizona news outlets quoting a court filing reported that 18-year-old Isaiah Gentry was accused of carrying out the attack last March. So I don't know if they meant like March 2020 or March 2021. I think that's a big difference. Do you? The police, okay, police took the teenager into custody in Tempe, Arizona this week, nearly a year after the attack. So he did this, and they just arrested him? Um, They say that he had been in police custody until February 12th when he was transferred to a Valley Wise Health Center. Oh, interesting. But then he was taken back into custody and charged with one count of attempted first-degree murder and one count of aggravated assault. There were court documents saying that he believed he was the Messiah, and allegedly he hit the victim with a statue before stabbing him multiple times in the stomach, arms, legs, torso, and back. Jesus Christ. 
The victim reportedly escaped out of the front door of a property but was chased by the kid, with the pair allegedly ending up fighting on the ground outside. The father eventually made it to a neighbor's house where he was able to get help. And then the kid returned to his house, took a shower to wash off the blood. Then the victim's injuries were not life-threatening, despite being stabbed 20 times. Well, thank God. That's a happy end to that story. So there's a picture of this kid in here, and he really needs a haircut and needs to wash his face. So Newsweek, this is the article out of Newsweek. This is what they say. They say the notion of shape-shifting reptiles has existed among internet conspiracy theorists for years, some of whom believe politicians and Hollywood celebrities are in fact lizards with extraterrestrial origins intent on taking over the world. It's actually been that the belief that they exist has been around for thousands of years. And there they go trying to show me earwax in the middle of a fucking article, guys. They are trolling me. Okay, so it goes on to talk about... Sorry, my thing is all messed up. It says they... Okay, so they go on to talk about this. How dangerous believing in conspiracies is. It says, Among the famous names conspiracy theorists have linked to the baseless and bizarre claims are the Clintons, the Obama, Obamas, and Justin Bieber. (laughs) I've never heard anything about Justin Bieber. Adherents believe that they are lizard-like creatures who have been sent to Earth and are responsible for historic events such as the Holocaust and 9-11. I've never heard that. A poll conducted in 2013 suggested 4% of Americans believed in the lizard theory that shape-shifting reptilian people control our world by taking on human form and gaining power. The survey carried out by public policy polling asked... 1,247 registered American voters. That is not a large enough sample size, for one. The margin of error for overall sample was plus minus 2.8%. There's no suggestion that Gentry adhered, that's the kid, to any specific conspiracy theory. But they had to make sure they added that his, his claim was so ridiculous, but there are so many people that believe that they exist. Crazy piece of news right there. The next one, the next one is snipershide.com, which I love the name of this website. It is titled, Study Chemical That Causes Penises to Shrink Found in Face Masks. This is written by Pat Miles, March 26th of this year. This is crazy, guys. I, you need to look at this article. It says, phthalates has been linked to genital shrinkage, decreased fertility rates, and less masculine behavior in young boys. Dr. Shauna Swan, professor of environmental medicine and public health at Mount Sinai Health System, has warned in a new book that phthalates, a chemical commonly used in the manufacturing of plastics, can shrink penises and decrease male fertility. The National Center of Biotechnology Information, which operates under the National Library of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health, found that the microplastics used in the manufacturing of COVID face masks contain a number of toxic chemicals, including the penis-shrinking phthalates. Phthalates. It's P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. So her book, Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race, warns that, that's the name of the book, that's badass, warns that humanity is facing an existential crisis in fertility rates as a direct result of the chemical phthalates 
and most men may be infertile by 2045. Okay, we just talked about this with our Brooklyn chick, right? I wonder who decided to use all of these chemicals to make all of these common household items. So Dr. Swan found that male human babies who had been exposed to the phthalates in the womb had a shorter antogenital distance, something that correlates with penile volume. Her research discovered that rats exposed to phthalates were born with shrunken genitals. So all bad, guys. All bad. There was also another um, study that was reported by WebMD in 2009 by Swan that found that young boys whose mothers were exposed to high levels of phthalates were more likely to exhibit non-masculine behavior and less likely to play with trucks or other male typical toys or play fight, which I don't really... Whatever. Exposure to these chemicals has a wide range of male reproductive harm, including undescended testicles, birth defects of the genitals, and infertility later in life. That's very sad. In 2020, there was a study by chemical environmental engineering researcher Tadel Acefa Araga titled Surgical Face Masks as a Potential Source for Microplastic Pollution in the COVID-19 Scenario, and lists several of the harmful side effects of the mask pollution in great detail. Total hero. Woo! They have an enormous effect on the aquatic biota and the entire environment and a source of chronic health problems to humans. They contain toxic chemicals as an additive like phthalate, organotin, nonylphenol, polybrominated biphenyl ether, and triclosan. These toxic chemicals, he says, can be released during the degradation process, either chemically or biologically, of plastic polymers in the open environment. Scary shit, guys, because I just saw... You should really look up the Morgellons thing, and I just recently saw a video of some stuff in face masks that's fucking scary. That's fucking scary. I'm telling you what. So that's that's all for that one, but I thought it was really, really important to, to share. Okay, next is the sun. Okay, we go back to this whole, you know, satanic ritual abuse and, like, people having a fetish for murder and stuff. And then you get this article, right? It's called Twisted Trend Inside Horrific Death Streaming Craze Where Viewers Pay to Watch Torture, Humiliation, and Death Live on YouTube. This was published March 30th, 2021, so just a few days ago. I guess it's a dark, sinister new trend emerging in live streaming as sick YouTubers inflict torture, bury people alive, and even kill for cash. I'm not going to talk much about this, but it's called trash streaming. It's a very lucrative subculture in Russia, They and I highly doubt that it's just in Russia. So people are paying people on live stream to do some horrible horrible things and there are some examples in this article just the simple fact that as they do these horrific violent things people are watching and actively real-time sending donations to push them to do a certain thing it's like only fans for murderers and really sicko real fucking sick shit i wonder if any of that stuff's kind of going on on only fans except more vanilla i don't know For example, there was a trash stream in which a homeless man was buried alive while another woman's head was repeatedly slammed against a table. There was a mother of three that was drugged and raped as vloggers trashed her apartment. 
And I guess Russian legislators are desperately trying to curb this practice and are looking to ban them and the streamers altogether. This is probably when censorship needs to take hold, but that's because these activities are illegal. Okay, you guys can totally read that if you want. It's like five pages long. I don't want to. Okay, we're going to lighten the mood. The last one I have for you was like recently I was just tagged in a post about this freaking alien human battle that happened in Kentucky in the 50s and I never heard of it and it was like the inspiration for the movie The Gremlins and E.T. Okay so this incident it happened in August 1955 around 11 p.m. there were eight people showed up in Hopkinsville Kentucky police station freaking out saying we need help we've been fighting them for nearly four hours. And they're like, who? And they were like these little silver men. And so they freaked out and people were like, oh, it was just, they were drunk or it could have been an owl attack. (laughs) So I guess they throw like this festival now. It's Little Green Men Days every August, which is really cute. But people are like, so what actually really happened? Did it happen? Well, some people say, yeah, it fucking happened. Why else would they all run to the goddamn police station if something didn't happen? You know, they would have just stayed home. People may say that the the alien hysteria is, you know, because of the whole sci-fi movement and things were in the news and hoaxers, you know, trying to spice up their life a little bit, which is totally wrong, by the way. But, you know, I mean, that's what people are going to say. But, you know, it all depends on how these people actually were. While visiting a friend named Elmer, Lucky Sutton, that's the family's name, at his farmhouse in the tiny town of Kelly, Billy Ray Taylor of Pennsylvania went outside to the well to collect some water. Then something streaked across the sky, catching his attention. There was a silvery object, real bright, and there was exhaust with all the colors of the rainbow. He fled inside and told his wife, and then he also told the Sutton family he had seen a UFO. Said he didn't hear an explosion, just a hissing noise, and an object landed somewhere behind the farmhouse. No one took him seriously until the dogs began to bark. Something was approaching the house. These invaders had round, oversized heads with long arms with talons that nearly touched the ground. Everything seemed to shimmer and glow. The eyes had a yellowish light, and their bodies glinted like they were made of silver metal. I got an earwax ad again, guys. What the fuck? These fucking assholes. Fuck you. (laughs) So, you know, the house is being invaded by these things, and they just start to, they grab their guns, and they start to fire. And there's actually a little drawing rendering. They called it the hop, they call them Hopkinsville goblins. And they look like the little gremlins. Not the fluffy ones, the fucking ugly, scary ones. Supposedly, this happened for several hours, I don't know how they didn't run out of ammunition. And then the aliens retreated. They flipped up into the trees when the humans tried to shoot them. One reached down and grabbed Taylor's hair. Finally, when all seemed quiet, several people piled into the car and fled into town. So that is kind of... I got another earwax ad. (laughs) It's kind of outlandish. But Russ Greenwell, he was the chief of the police. He drove out to the farmhouse to see what had happened. 
And one guy supposedly had a pulse of 140 beats per minute, so he was freaking out. And he says, um, the chief of police said that these aren't the kind of people who would normally run to the police for help. And the cops didn't find any evidence. It was in the Kentucky New Era the next day. At least one of the cops believed Taylor and Sutton's story. One guy, Frank Dudas, who was a sergeant, said the whole story is entirely plausible. He saw the saucers himself, he said. And if I saw them, the Kelly story could certainly be true. Interesting. And very historic. I mean, that's not one you hear about every day. So thank you to Leanne. Leanne told me about this. And she lives in Mississippi, I think. I'm pretty sure. Super cool story. Our guest spot this week goes to Matt and Brooke Wright and their incredible website and craftsmanship with ExtremeInstinct.com. It will be linked below. You can have custom knives made. They do guiding for Florida fishing and survival. And if you were interested in a survival class, if you were in... I do believe that he does Colorado as well, but I think they're primarily in Florida now. Go over to ExtremeInstinct.com and see what Brooke and Matt have in store for you if you're into that kind of stuff. But they're they're badass people. So I would suggest going over there and looking at those knives and the opportunities to learn from some pretty incredible people. <laughs> Inward Survival's School of Magic this week, we're going to talk about agreeableness. And the source for our discussion today is from VeryWellMind.com, What is Agreeableness by Sherry Gordon-Susman, PhD. So agreeableness is one of five personality traits, which means that there are potentially five major dimensions to personality. And each dimension is viewed on a continuum, which means that while you may be dominant in one area, like agreeableness, you still have some other level of other four traits represented in your personality as well. So this is pretty interesting to kind of assess ourselves as well as other people as to what we're made up of and how these mesh together. So the big five traits are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, and neuroticism. OCEAN is the acronym that is commonly used by psychologists to help people remember all the five traits. Agreeableness describes a person's ability to put other people's needs above their own. And we all know that there needs to be a fair balance to this because if you're the yes man, then you're going to have a really tough time. So people who are high in agreeableness naturally experience a lot of empathy and tend to get tremendous pleasure from helping others. Agreeable people are also trusting and forgiving and would rather collaborate than compete with others. So, you know, having high agreeableness could be advantageous, but also it can be an issue for that person who tends to be overly agreeable. There are lots of positive aspects, but there are those down downsides as well. People who are super agreeable may struggle to assert their wants, needs, and preferences, and that could be difficult for them. Some of the characteristics of people who score high in agreeableness would be you get along with others, are popular and well-liked, you care for others in need, you're helpful, kind, and considerate, you are sensitive and socially and emotionally intelligent, you're good at de-escalating conflict, you try not to judge people, you try to give people the benefit of the doubt, 
like collaboration, form friendships easily, are more altruistic and perceptive, and are emotionally supportive. So when you're measuring factors of your personality, you will do like self-report inventories. And this is something that I like to talk about with the journaling is when we sit down and we actually do an inventory of how we behaved during the day or during the week. And we, you know, there's these questionnaires that you can do to figure out like a particular dimension of your personality. Those are kind of fun. And it can also explain a lot of one's difficulties as far as in relationships. Agreeableness will actually influence our behavior and it can assess how well a person can will mesh with society. These sub-traits would be altruism, cooperation, modesty, straightforwardness, sympathy, and trust. We like to feel good when we're helping other people. That's our altruism. Like I said before, we need a, a real sense of balance there because there you know, needs to be time to recharge. There is a cooperation when people will go to certain lengths to avoid confrontations and want to be known as somebody who's not into conflict and will avoid it at all costs, which can bite you in the ass later for sure. Someone scoring high in agreeableness tend to be pretty sincere and honest, and they don't really want to manipulate people. They are pretty viewed as genuine and loving. If a person scores low in agreeableness, it says they may feel there's nothing wrong with being deceptive. I kind of, I know some people like this. Then next is modesty, a sense of humility, but sometimes to the point they may have lower self-esteem. I guess people who will scored low and agreeableness might be more arrogant or not above taking advantage of other people. I have definitely met some of those people too. There's uh, some high people that score high in agreeableness often are more sympathetic and express more concern for others. Talked about emotional intelligence and being able to relate to the pain and suffering of other people. People who would score low in agreeableness are not inclined to be merciful or may not feel empathy. Next would be trusting. Someone scoring high in agreeableness are prone to assume that other people have good intentions and mean well. This is me. Uh, some people will say that this is being gullible, and I tend to agree because not everybody has good intentions, so you always must be on your guard. People who would score low with agreeableness would view others as selfish and believe that they're only out for their own interests. And they may see people as a threat to their own interests and well-being. So us being able to assess other people's agreeableness level will, will help you in the end. If, overall, if you're an agreeable person, there's common behaviors that occur pretty consistently. And look for the, yourself in these scenarios. You put the interests of others before your own. You engage in people-pleasing behavior. Need affirmation from others. Are kind, considerate, and helpful tend to get involved in the community, will compromise on their ideas and ideals if it reduces conflict. That's one we really have to watch. Refrain from being abrasive or contradicting. So those are all those people that like to keep quiet when we're talking about highly charged ideas and concepts. And they try to be honest and sincere in their words as well as their deeds. Understanding agreeableness can help you make sense of your tendencies. It's not your only defining characteristic. Everybody has some level of 
any of these traits in your life. So be open to exploring these traits in your personality and maybe consider to what level you are being agreeable versus to what level other people in your life are being agreeable. Our stoic thought of the week goes to Rumi. He is a a 13th century Persian poet and a lot of people really circulate his stuff. He has been described as the most popular poet. So let's look at a couple of his quotes. He says, Your task is not to seek for love, but merely to seek and find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. He also says, Don't grieve. Anything you lose comes round in another form. And last. Beauty surrounds us, but usually we need to be walking in a garden to know it. Everyone have a great week, and thank you for joining me. Bye.